Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you were with us last week, you know that we embarked on a new series for this Advent season, this Christmas time season. Uh, we are, are looking at how we can adore the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, come let us adore him. That, that great chorus that the kids sang, that's our theme for this month, as we want to come before the Lord and, and adore him as a church family uh, this time of year. And, you know, one of the ways we do that, one of the ways in which we adore the, the person of Jesus is through songs. You know, at Christmas time, we sing songs, songs that we know, songs that we like, many songs that we love. How many of you have a favorite Christmas song? Uh, you like this time of year, you have a favorite Christmas song, and, and you're, you're sitting out there going, why have we not sung it yet? Uh, it's coming. We've got a few more Sundays. We've got a few more services. But uh, you've got songs that you love at Christmas time. I've got songs that I love at Christmas time. Uh, one of my favorite songs at Christmas is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Anybody else? Is that anybody else's favorite song? There's only one hand in first service. Thank you, Diane. You, you're helping me out. I'm not, I'm not left hanging. At least two of us love this song. Uh, it's a great Christmas song, a great Christmas carol. And I think part of the reason why I like it is I grew up in a, a Methodist background, and uh, the author of that great Christmas hymn was Charles Wesley, um, who, along with his brother John, helped start the Methodist movement in uh, in England, and really, you can't tell the story of Christianity in England in the 1700s without talking about John and Charles Wesley, but also about one of their good friends, a man by the name of George Whitfield. Those three men uh, spent a lot of time taking the gospel to common people like you and me, rather than just sitting back in, in, in high church sanctuary and steeples. They went and had outdoor evangelistic meetings where they, they preached the gospel to those who were who would come and who would hear. George Whitfield was a, a very uh, popular preacher in that day. Before having things like microphones and sound systems, he preached to as many as 30,000 people in one setting. I don't even know how that's possible, uh, but Whitfield had such a following in his day. And though they were on opposite ends of kind of some theological issues, uh, Whitfield and the Wesleys were, were good friends. And oftentimes, Whitfield in his open-air meetings would use some of the songs that Wesley had written. And one of the songs that, that Charles Wesley wrote that, uh, that Whitfield wanted to use in his services was a song that Wesley called, Hark How the Welkin Rings. Now, that might sound a little like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing was not the original lyric written by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote this song as we know it, but with a different first line, Hark How the Welkin Rings. Now, does anybody know what a welkin is? Um, unless you're like transported here, Bill and Ted style from the 1700s, you probably don't know. But, but welkin is really the, the, an idea of the vault of heaven. It's the idea that God opened up the vault and poured out his blessings on the earth at the time of the birth of Christ. And so this great Christmas song began with Hark How the Welkin Rings. Now, what's interesting about this is that though Whitfield loved this song, um, he didn't like the first lyric. Uh, and so he decided to change that first lyric to Hark How 
uh, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I think is a little bit of an upgrade, at least for those of us who live in, in, in 2014, that seems like an upgrade. But Charles Wesley didn't see it that way, especially because George Whitfield didn't ask Charles for his permission to change that song. And so what's, what's fascinating is that Charles Wesley, who wrote this beloved Christmas carol, many of our favorite Christmas songs, never sang it as we know it because he refused to sing it because his friend had changed the lyric. Isn't it interesting how in the midst of our Christmas traditions, uh, we can get focused on sometimes the wrong things? Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that Wesley, um, he should have sung the song. Um, I, w- I wish that he would have. And I, I, my guess is that somehow in eternity right now, he and Whitfield are having a great time singing about the herald angels singing. Um, but he did not sing it at that time. See, it's, it's possible for us at Christmas to get focused on the wrong things. Well, this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to get focused on the right thing. If we're going to adore something at Christmas time, what should we adore? And the, the one that we should adore is the person of Jesus Christ. He should be the focus of our hearts, of our minds, of our souls. And that's what we're here to do today, is to adore Him. And we're going to take as our, our pattern or our mold for how we can adore Him at Christmas time the very first Christmas song ever written, the song that we read earlier, Mary's Song, from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And what I want us to do is we're just going to walk through this song. We're really going to see one thing from this song today about what it means to adore Him, and we're going to see it, though, in a couple of movements. So Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, we're going to see a couple of things about adoring Him. Well, the first thing we see about adoring Him begins in the very first parts of verse 46. Mary learns that she's going to have a son, and the son is going to be Jesus. She believes this is going to happen. Um, the, the child in her stomach is verification of that, and she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and when she's there, she begins to speak forth a song. She probably wrote this song in the journey on the way to Elizabeth's house. The first line of her song says it this way. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnify really means to, to blow up, to make big, to enlarge in. What Mary was saying was at, at this time, at this moment, at this season of her life, what she wanted to be big was God, not her. What she wanted to be big was God and not her circumstances. What she wanted to be at the center of her soul was the God of the universe and what he was doing. She wanted to enlarge in him. Well, how does she do that? How do we see that translate into the song? We see that in, the, in this 10-verse song that Mary wrote 19 times, either he, him, Lord, or God is used. 19 times in 10 verses. She is, the song is God-focused. It is God-centered. It is God-magnifying. At the center of her life at this moment, God is very, very large. She has blown him up, and, and she has done that by taking as her inspiration the Old Testament Scriptures. In this 10 verses, there's 12 allusions to Old Testament passages, most prominently Hannah's prayer, 
Uh, when she finds out that she is pregnant, there's many similarities with Hannah's prayer from the book of Samuel, but there's also 11 other allusions to the Old Testament. Mary, at this moment, makes God large in her life by drawing from what she knows about God from the Old Testament. She, she is making him large. And I have thought about what, it, what does it mean to, to make God large? And I've, I've thought about um, a phone. Many of you have some kind of a touchscreen phone, an iPhone or an Android phone, God bless you, uh, that, that have something like that. And, and you, have, you have something like that in your pocket. And with these phones, these touchscreen phones, if you want to make something bigger, what do you do? You do one of those things, right? You just, just kind of blow it up wide. And, and what it does when you do that is it doesn't make anything on your, it doesn't add any detail to your screen. In other words, it can't make anything that's not there, there. But what it can do is make something that was always there but looked small, make it look larger. And what Mary does at this, at this moment of her life is she, she does this with the Scripture. She does this with her life, and it magnifies the Lord. It blows Him up. It makes Him large and central to her soul so that she might worship Him. Now, when she, she blows Him up, when she magnifies Him, She's going to, to see some very specific things that were always a part of the character of God. But as she magnifies him, as she enlarges him, these parts of the character of God come really into focus for her. She sees more detail. Well, what are some of the things or characteristics of God that Mary sees as she, as she blows up and enlarges God, as she magnifies him? Well, the first thing we see is that she remembers that God is her Savior. Verse 47. She's going to rejoice in God, her Savior. Now, I, I think that's a beautiful admission for Mary to make. And I think it's very instructive for us on how Mary viewed herself in the economy of, of God in this world. Who needs a Savior? People who need saving. Who needs saving? Sinful people. Sinful people need a Savior. Imperfect people need a perfect God. Did Mary view herself as some superhuman? Did she view herself as, as sinless? Did God view her that way? No. Mary was someone who needed God to work on her behalf, just as you and I do. She was someone who needed a Savior in order for her to experience salvation. And so, as she blows up the Old Testament Scripture, she's reminded that God is her Savior. And you know what? If you're here today and you have a relationship with God, then God is your Savior as well because no, none of us can clean ourselves up enough to be pleasing to God. We're sinful people who need a Savior also. As we zoom in, as we blow up, as we make God large in our life, we remember that He is our Savior. But what else do, does she see or does she remember about God as she magnifies Him? Not just that He's her Savior, but also that He is the mighty one, verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. She remembers the omnipotence of God. She remembers how powerful he is, how there is nothing that he can't do. Now, it would be pretty easy to be aware of the fact that God can do anything when you're pregnant and you're a virgin, right? It would not be a, a stretch to think about a, a God who is omnipotent in that circumstance. But Mary drew her idea that God was mighty, not just from that event, but from how God had dealt with his people forever and, and in the, the recording of those events in the Old Testament scriptures. Mary had seen over and over again the, the powerful hand of God, her Savior, working 
on behalf of his people. And, and as she blows him up, she, she sees that. That's really important because think about the circumstances of her life. She's a teen mom. She had gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth, not just to go on vacation, but partly to find some safe haven, some shelter, to lay low for a little while while Joseph sorted these things out and while her parents sorted these things out. It was a difficult situation, but she realizes that that God is mighty, that he's powerful, that he's omnipotent. As she zoomed in, as she magnified the Lord, that's what she saw. We need to remember that as well. Because right now in this room, many of us are dealing with things that are just too big for us. We, we feel like there's a ceiling on what can happen in our lives, and, and nothing can happen beyond that because we've got a God that is just too small or non-existent in our lives. We need to remember that God is mighty when we're facing that illness or that death or that struggle. We have a God who is mighty, and as we zoom in on Him, as we magnify Him, as we adore Him, that's what we see, that's what we remember. Remember the God who can do infinitely, abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. We have a God who is awesome and who is mighty. As she zooms in, though, she sees not just that he's her Savior and not just that he is mighty, but also that he is holy. Verse 49, holy is his name. What a wonderful thing that the closer Mary gets to God, the more she blows up who he is, she sees perfection and not error. What a a wonderful thing that is. God doesn't just look good on the front but has all kinds of problems on the back. But the more we draw into clarity and to focus who God is, the more comfort we get that he's holy and he's perfect, that he never makes a mistake. We need to remember that. We need to remember that God is holy. We need to be able to trust that when he gives us direction that it's the right direction because he's holy and he makes no mistakes. See, we, we serve and we know a God who is mighty, who's our Savior, who's holy. As we enlarge him, as we adore him, as we blow those things up, that's what we see. But we also see this. We also see not just that he is holy, but also, verse 50, that he's merciful. Mercy is this great Bible word. It's a word that is a, a Greek translation of a Hebrew word that meant the the loyal love of God, his commitment to act on our behalf, to to give us not what we deserve, but but something better. That's the mercy of God. He has that kind of commitment to us. Not only is he holy, but he's also merciful. We saw this last week when we saw that Jesus was full of grace and truth. The kids sang about that for us earlier. I'm so thankful that God is full of both grace and truth. If he was full of only truth, we would know the way, but we couldn't get there. But he's full of grace and truth, so that when he points the way, he also gives us the resource in order to get there. He's not just holy, he's also merciful. If God was just holy, then our salvation would be dependent upon us to live up to a holy standard, and we could never get there. But God is merciful. That means he's committed to us to do for us what we could not do on our own usher us into a relationship with him, to forgive us of our sins. See, Mary begins this song, and in the first few verses, she she magnifies the Lord. She she makes him large. My my question for, for us today at this point is, are we magnifying the Lord? At the center of your soul, at the center of your life, 
in this busy Christmas season with many things going on and in the midst of a season where, where many are dealing with sorrow and loss and difficulty and struggle, or you might be on the top of the world, it might be just the opposite for you, but there's a lot happening in our lives right now. But in the midst of whatever you're going through, are you magnifying the Lord? Are you making Him large in your life? Well, what are some of the ways in which we can do that? What are some of the ways in which you and I can, can make the Lord large in our lives, that we can magnify Him this time? Well, one thing I think is follow the pattern of Mary. How did Mary know to include 12 allusions from the Old Testament in her song? She knew that because she studied God's Word. She had committed it to memory. She spent time in her life reading it so that in her time of need, in her time of struggle, in her, in her time of uncertainty, that's the vocabulary that came back out of her mouth. That's the thoughts that were dominating her soul, were the thoughts of God and His character and His person. She pulls that out because she had studied it. And so one of the ways in which we can blow God up, enlarge Him in our lives is, is we can study the Scriptures. And my, my question is, just this month, not, don't, don't think even beyond this month right now, this month, what are you going to do this month to just take this book and these truths and just do that with it in your life? Just, just blow it up a little bit. Make it large and clear and in front of you that you would read it and process it and prayerfully consider it. You might be reminded of the truth of who God is this, this Christmas season. What are you going to do? And you know, one of the great things is, even though this is a busy time, this is a time when it's, it's, there's many opportunities, there's many resources that are available to help us take His Word and see His truth very clearly at Christmas. Uh, Wildwood has produced a, an Advent devotional. We've got some for free out in the gathering hall. We, we also have them. We're posting them to the, the city. Um, we're posting them uh, in different places on the internet, Facebook page, those kinds of things. If you're looking for a resource to help you magnify God this Christmas by, by examining the Scriptures, I would encourage you to come up with a plan, whether it's that one or something else, to get into God's Word this Christmas because we can, we can blow it up and see Him large in our lives. It's one thing. But a second thing, I, I think that we, the way that we do this is through song. And we, we've seen that already through uh, the songs that we've sung, and we've talked about our favorite Christmas songs. But, you know, this is the only time of year that I ever really have reminders to worship God at Walmart. You know, but are you going to Walmart right now? Are you going to Hallmark? And they're playing our music on the, over the loudspeaker. They're, they're talking about Jesus. Whether you listen to classic rock or you listen to country or you listen to Christian on the radio, you're going to hear Jesus sung about this Christmas. And rather than just going, oh, I didn't realize Bon Jovi had a song about a way in a manger, rather than just having that little random thought hit your head whenever you hear those songs on the radio, Take a moment to allow those songs to focus your hearts back on the Lord, that He would be large in your life this, this, this Christmas, because this is a season that we get to adore Him. Mary magnified the Lord. We should as well. So the first movement of the song, she's making Him magnified, making Him large. But the second part of the song really talks about the second strand within this song talks about how Mary came to know these things and how Mary's life became blessed by what God had done, by His character. Mary is, is thinking about how, how God has been good, not just at some point, but He was good at this point in her life. How God was good not just to some people in the past, but He was good in, in her very life today. 
You and I, as we read this, we need to be reminded and reflect upon the fact that God was not just good in the Bible times, but He's good in 2014, 2015. He wasn't just good in the Middle East, but He's good in Norman, Oklahoma today. He wasn't just good in the lives of Bible people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, but He's also good in our lives as well, that we have the chance to worship Him. She's thinking about how God had been good, not just to somebody, but to her. Verse 48 says this clearly. It says, For God looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary says, God saw me and he chose to bless me. If you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you just to, just to, to, to stop for a moment and remember that. If you're here, you have a relationship with him because God saw you and he chose to bless you. I want to bless Gary. I want to bless Drew. I want to bless Manet. He reached into our time, our space, our world, and he chose to bless us. Mary remembered that. In her situation, it involved the special blessing of being able to carry the Son of God. In our case, it's the Lord granting us eternal life. He goes on, she sings and says, For the one who is mighty has done great things. Again, not just at some point in the past, but has done great things for me. You ever stop to, to just make a list of what are the ways in which the Lord has been good to you? God has, has reached into your heart and your life. He has blessed you. He has done great things for you. Have you ever just stopped to, to make a list of that? Even in the midst of a difficult season of your life, if things are going poorly or, or whatever, we can, still can make a list of what we're thankful for because God still is good and He still is blessing us with His presence and with His, with His grace. Mary stopped and she did that. Now, here's the thing. Why did God choose to bless Mary? Why did he choose to bless her? You know, some have developed the whole mythology around Mary. And they're like, well, well, God chose to bless her because she was the most prominent woman in Israel at that time. She herself was born from this immaculate conception. She herself was sinless. She herself was, was elevated and exalted. And God chose her because she was somehow the best. But that, that's not the picture of what we get in, in Scripture. Though there's a mythology around that, there, there's not a reality around that. Remember, Mary is one who needed a Savior, just like you and me. Mary describes her own situation as a humble estate, someone who was not of great means, but someone that God chose to bless simply because He chose to bless. If it's not because she was the greatest in her generation, why is it that God chose to bless her? Well, verse 50 tells us. It says, The one who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And it says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Why is it that Mary received this blessing from God? It's because he just had a commitment to love her. And he chose to give her not what she deserved or earned, but what she could not possibly have gotten on her own. He gives her this gift of being the mother of Jesus. He gives her ultimately the gift of 
faith and eternal life. It was because of her mercy. And, and because of that, you and I can draw great comfort from Mary's life as well. She's the prototype for us. She's the one that, that we could follow her example because she was the one that God showed mercy to, and God desires to show mercy to you and I as well. That's why she says that this mercy is not just for her, but it says it's for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, any who worship God, any who revere him, any who receive this gift of what is offered for us in Christ, that he is offering to bless us, to come and be with us, to forgive us of our sins, and to usher us into an eternity with him. Not because we deserve it or we earn it, but because he'd given it to us. Mary is so clear in this in her song because at the end of the song, uh, she talks about how in Jesus the, the tides have turned. And in the first century, as well as in our world, there's another mythology around the ones that God wants to bless, the ones that God wants in his presence are those who are rich, those who are powerful, those who have lives that are impressive, that are highly educated. Those are the ones we can imagine God wanting to bless. But Mary in her song reminds us that it's just the opposite. It says in verse 51 that God has scattered the proud. Verse 52, he's brought down the mighty. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty, but he has filled the hungry with good things. You see, if we are, are spiritually hungry, we can go to the Lord and he will fill us. If we're spiritually empty because our righteousness is not enough to impress God, which I've got news for you, that's all of us, we can go to him who fills to our account the righteous life of Christ, who forgives us of our sins and gives us opportunity to live in relationship with him forever. You know, if you're in this room and you have placed your faith in Christ at some point, um, you celebrate at Christmas the, the coming into this world of your Savior. And it's with joy that we sing these songs. But have you ever forgotten, have you ever taken for granted that the reason why this is possible for us is not because we figured it out and not because we're good enough, but it's because God is merciful to us. Are you mindful of that this Christmas? God is merciful to you. God is merciful to me. That's the reason why we have hope at Christmas. And, and for others who are here, there's the beautiful truth of God's mercy. If you're here today, maybe you came today, it's your first Sunday, it's Christmas time, you wanted to come, you knew somebody was up here singing, you wanted to come. You're here today, maybe you've been here for a while, but you've never fully embraced what's happened for you in Christ. Here's the beautiful thing about mercy. Mercy says we don't have to go and clean up our lives and fix ourselves and then come back to God and then he'll accept us. See, it's mercy that says that our only hope is a God that says, I'm so committed to you that I'll send my son to die in your place so that you could have eternal life. And when you realize that, God also gives the invitation that any of us who embrace him in faith will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the incredibly blessed truth of Christmas. And it's a truth that we need to hear as believers. It's a truth that we need to hear if you're here today just as a seeker of truth, we need to hear these things today. And, and, you know, many of us need to be reminded of them even as we're dealing with the pain and the loss in our life of, of something that has been going on. I've alluded to this a couple of times in the service, but uh, some of you may not be aware. 
um, that just a couple of days ago on Friday morning, uh, Ruth Graham went to be with the Lord. Ruth is a longtime Wildwood member. She and her husband, Brian, Ruth's 36 years old, three kids, um, eight, six, and two, um, just dropped over and, and had a homecoming with the Lord in that moment. Ruth is the daughter of Mark and Carolyn Bonji. She grew up in this place. Many of you have been around here a long time, have known her since she was five years old, three years old. You know the parents. You, you're feeling the pain of this loss uh, just, like, just like we are. Um, as we think about the loss of our friend, uh, Ruth, Ruth Graham. And you know, part of what happens when, when something like this goes on is, is you begin to go, you know, Lord, why? What, what is happening in this? So, you know, why, why now? Why Christmas? Why 36? I mean, all these questions that we have. I mean, have you had some of those questions? Have you processed this? I certainly have had those questions. And, you know, there, there are so many times we ask those questions and we want to have all the answers and we just don't have them. But you know what? Though I don't have all the answers, the Lord really encouraged me on Friday afternoon with the passage that we just read today. Because as I just went back and, and read it over again, I just could imagine our, our dear sister Ruth singing this song, singing Mary's song in, in the presence of the Lord. I could imagine Ruth in the presence of God saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, trust me, the Lord has never been so large as he is in Ruth's life right now. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Ruth was a wonderful servant of the Lord. She was a wonderful, uh, I mean, she was always, if we ever had a need at the church, Ruth was here. She'd bring her kids. They'd dive in. They, they, were, they were just always serving the Lord um, with, with everything that they had. And, and what, a, what a blessing that was. But you know what? Ruth is not in the presence of the Lord today because she was good. She's in the presence of the Lord today because God was her Savior. And I kept reading, he says, for, for God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, it is not difficult for us today to say Ruth is blessed. Not only were we blessed by her, but she's blessed today. And for all generations, from this point forward into eternity, she's in the presence of the Lord forever. And why is that? How could she be there? Because of the mercy of our God. Because of His commitment to love her. And so when you think about that, as, as difficult and as painful, and for all the questions we don't have answers to, Christmas is, is a, a beautiful time for us to remember this truth. Because Jesus came into this world he was born in a, in a stable. He was living the life that he lived on this earth. He went through all of that so that Ruth could be with him forever. We can grieve, and we are. We can come around and try to help the family, and, and we will. We can be the body of Christ to, to them in their time of need, and, and we'll do that for certainly. But in the midst of, of all of that, we also can grieve with hope because she can sing this song today. 
And if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Christ, my, my, my strong, strongly implore you, what is keeping you from doing that? No one expects for their life to end at 36. And yet, it does. Times. We have no guarantee of days. We do have a guarantee that we have a God who loves us, who's committed to saving us if we would just accept the gift that he offers us in Christ. We're going to close our service today by singing a couple of very famous Christmas hymns. And as we sing them, here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing, O come all ye faithful. As we sing that song, um, if you are trusting in Christ, placing your faith in Him, uh, whether that is today for the first time or today you're just experiencing the blessing of a commitment that you made in a relationship that was established with Christ many years ago, I want you just to sing that song, imagining not only joining this incredible choir in this room, but also joining a heavenly choir that includes those of us who have gone before, including those who are We can sing about the God who is saving us in Christ. And then we'll conclude our service by focusing and adoring God as the angels did that first time. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to worship today, the opportunity to to look into your word, to see this first Christmas song, to receive inspiration from it, encouragement from it. Because, Father, we are a people who need a mighty God. We're a people who need a Savior. And though you are holy, you're also merciful. And so, Father, thank you that you have extended mercy to us through Christ, that if we would but believe in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray today for all of us who have already embraced this gift that you would just help us to remember that it is an act of grace and mercy from you that we have not earned it, but also that we would fill our hearts with joy at what you have provided for us. We would draw comfort from it at this moment and always. And Father, I pray today for any who are here who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, that even as we sing about the faithful coming, that they would join that number today, placing their faith and their hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.